The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father, who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Every different denomination of Christianity has its different soapbox topics, the things that they really hammer home, hit hard, and that they're all about. Of course, the Reformed, Calvinists or Presbyterians, they care a lot about the sovereignty of God, that God is all-powerful, even in the little things in life, and to a fault, they go so far in carrying it to, they even say God is the one who damns people. It's not their fault, but God. Arminians, or those who are of many Baptists or Methodist persuasions, care a lot about what they perceive to be man's free will, that God is not sovereign, but man can make a choice for God or against him in everything. People who are in the Episcopal Church or the Roman Catholic Church, well, they care a lot about tradition. They care a lot about especially authority. Who has power in the church? They're all about that. Well, what are Lutherans? What is our soapbox? What do we care about? What is that note that we hammer home time and again? Well, that one's easy. If you've ever been to a Reformation Sunday service, you know that it is. Grace alone, faith alone, and scripture alone. We are saved as a gift of God by his grace. That gift is apprehended by faith. And this all rests on the authority of not popes, councils, or bishops, but of the holy scriptures, 
the Holy Bible. And really, that is such a hard, strong note that Lutherans hit, grace, faith, and scripture, that everybody else knows it. All the other denominations say, if you want to really hear a good sermon or a good lecture or class on how we're saved and justified by grace, you might as well go find a Lutheran church. We get credit for that, as well we should. The problem, though, that I often encounter, I certainly encounter it with ministers and theological books, is sometimes we hit too exclusively that central note for what we are about. We focus only on those fundamental doctrines of grace, faith, and scripture at the cost of other important things in the Bible. The example I was trying to think about, well, it's fall, I'll go ahead and use a football example, right? If you're a football coach and you want to win games, you need to have a good offense. If you don't got a good offense, you're probably not going to score any or many points. But you can't focus entirely on your offense. You also have to have that good defense too, or the other team's going to score more points than you, regardless of how many points that you score. You have to care about the whole picture, or the whole thing falls apart. And so we need to major, of course, in the fundamentals, but we also need to pay attention to the minor things, the secondary things. And we see such secondary things in the passage from Matthew read this morning, particularly this sentence buried here, this couple of sentences buried in the middle. Jesus says, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye and with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Now, it's easy for us to see why, as Lutherans, we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about this passages or similar ones. I think the obvious thing on the face of it is that those sentences of Jesus's that I just read, again, from Matthew's Gospel, are kind of off-putting, aren't they? Even though we know that his language is hyperbolic, he's exaggerating for the sake of making a point, who here wants to go off and read Bible passages that say, maim yourself, cut off your hand, pluck out your eye. All right, kids, time to go to bed. Let's pray. Doesn't really get that sort of attention. But I think our aversion to that passage and ones like it goes beyond just simply our being kind of squeamish at the imagery of it. Maybe we're sort of uncomfortable with it a little bit, just to be honest, because it's a judgment passage. He talks about people going to hell. Better to enter hell blind or crippled than with both eyes or all of your members to be, uh, or to enter heaven crippled than with all of your members to go to hell. We don't like to talk about the judgment passages. We don't like to dwell on the fact that hell is real, a place of eternal separation from God, and that real people that we know go there. I don't like thinking about it. I'm sure you're probably the same way. But of course, at the same time, we know that there is judgment. We know that God hates sins. We know that heaven is real and hell is also real. And the gospel, really, finally, the forgiveness of sins would mean absolutely nothing to us if there wasn't a judgment that it saved us from. No, I think we are averse to this passage and similar ones like it. And we steer clear of them as best we can, consciously or subconsciously, because they require something of us. Because Jesus is telling us what to do. It is very easy 
for a Christian, for a pastor who's like, supposed to get up and speak about these things, it's very easy just to focus on the positive gospel passages in the scripture. The gospel meaning the broad good news that God and his son Jesus has saved us. God loves us. Right? We know Jesus' words from John, the gospel of John. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That is a sweet, beautiful gospel word that Jesus told foreshadowing his own death for you and me, his friends. You have also from the Gospel of John, Jesus saying to that woman caught in adultery after he finally gets everybody who's about to stone her to leave. He says, is there anybody left here to condemn you? And he says, these sweet words, neither do I condemn you. I do love passages like that, and I sure hope that you do too. They are gospel words, balming words, wonderful words for us to hear from our Savior and God as surely they were for its initial audience. Besides that, the gospel itself, the good news that God loves us in Christ, that's what this is built on. That's what this, the Christianity, the Christian church, is all about. It's the center of it. It's what creates and nourishes our faith. The thing is, it's not always so easy for us, though, to hear the follow-up to these passages. The admonitions that Jesus in the same breath gives to them. Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And what's the next sentence? You are my friends if you do what I command you. And as soon as he says to the woman, neither do I condemn you, in the same breath he says, go and sin no more. Stop the way you were living and live in a different way. It's not that we don't want guidance for our lives as Christians. It's not that we don't want to know, well, what does God say? What am I supposed to do in life? If we're Christians, of course we do. We want the forgiveness, and then we want a little bit of help. Where should I go? I think the problem lies in this, is that we, we kind of, if we're being honest, we just don't want too much guidance. We don't want too specific guidance, which makes particular demands on us. We don't want the guidance from God and his word to be, frankly, too hard, too difficult. And if you're going to have Jesus telling us to cut off our hands, cut off our feet, pluck out our eyes, well, that's the epitome of something being a little too hard, a little bit too much. But yes, all the same, what does our Lord do? He tells us to do just that. And if anybody, I would say, in this world, even greater than each of us individually for our own lives, if anybody knows what's for our best, what's for our good, it is Jesus Christ. If there is a secondary contribution to theology and understanding the Bible and God that Lutherans have given, a secondary benefit that we've given after grace, faith, and scripture alone, I would say that we have given the broader Christian church we have this own understanding ourselves, a very realistic appraisal of sin in the life of a Christian. Lutherans understand so very clearly that even though we are saved, even though we are declared saints by God, we're still sinners. If you are a member of Calvary and you wake up in the morning and saying, today I'm not going to sin any at all, you haven't been listening to a thing that I've been telling you or anybody else. Not because I don't think or we don't think that sin is bad. Of course it is. But we just know you're not going to live perfectly. You're never going to have that perfect game. You're not going to bat a thousand. 
It is impossible in this life, even as Christians, to be completely without sin. Scripture, experience, testify that it is true. But the danger in that knowledge, the danger in understanding that we are always at the same time sinners, is that we sometimes drift into thinking, well, since I can't be sinless, since I can't eradicate sin completely from my life, I might as well quit trying to. I might as well quit trying to not lie, not stander, not lust, not steal, not covet. Since I'm never going to do it perfectly, I might as well just sort of let it go and lean into it. Because, hey, at the end, we have the gospel and Jesus forgives me anyway, so why should I stress so much about caring what God tells me to do? If I try not to get angry, I know I'll just get angry, so I'll just go ahead and get angry without even trying not to. Now, anybody who's even mildly familiar with the epistles, St. Paul's in particular, knows that this is really not the way we're supposed to think about God's grace and forgiveness. And what's more, I would say that that sort of thinking, when we think that way, well, God will just forgive me anyway, so I might as well just do whatever I want to do, well, that's a dangerous way to live. It's a dangerous, and that is the threat of willful, deliberate, unrepentant sin, which is what that is, has in the Bible consequences. Yes, we are Christians. Yes, we are in the faith, in the ark of the Holy Church, the body of Christ. But it is, in fact, possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit, to drive him out by willful, unchecked wickedness. We can destroy our own faith. That is a possibility. And such a thing happens, number one, when faith isn't nourished, when we treat church and the Bible as something that we kind of do once in a while, but don't come, don't engage, don't listen. That happens because faith just grows cold, but it also happens when we cease living in repentance, when we cease to turn away from the things that God says are spiritually harmful for us. And so it's for this reason that Jesus gives us such a clear passage today in Matthew, a passage of warning against making peace with sin and making peace with the things in life or even the people in life that we know lead us into sin. And I would even say this, more than warning us, Jesus is being a good friend to us. He's telling us how to avoid the danger of being led into willful sin, of driving away the Holy Spirit. How do we do it? Remove the things that cause us temptation. Remove the things that we know will draw us into it. That's what he means by cutting off the hand. Not surgically removing it. That's what he means. Whatever causes you to fall into wickedness, get rid of it. Get it out of your life. Get them, if it's a person, out of your life. If it's your TV, you find that you are a very bad Student, parent, sibling, child, and you spend all of your time in front of the glowing rectangle, you don't have to have a TV. You don't have to. Tell me you have to. If it's your phone, if you can't spend an hour at home with the people that God has placed around you to love without pulling that thing out of your pocket and staring at it, get rid of it. You can live without a phone. And believe me, you can live without a smartphone. 
It's doable. It stinks, but it's doable. And guess what? You might be a better dad if you do it and better husband. Just, just saying. If it's your group of friends, the people that you hang out with, if your time with them leads you to consume too much of good gifts like food or alcohol, if they lead you to just neglect your duties as whatever parental or spousal duty that you have, find a new group of friends. It's fine. I'll be your friend. I'm already your friend. I'll be your better friend. I'll spend more time with you. There we go. If it is an activity that leads you to break the Sabbath, to miss church, get rid of it. On the day of judgment, whether or not you know Christ by faith, that's what's going to matter. Not all of the things that you have stayed away from this house for. Indeed, it is better to enter heaven blind, to enter heaven without your iPhone, your cable bill, or whatever activity you like on Sunday morning, then with both eyes to be cast into hell and with all of those things. That is God's law, and it's a hard word. It is a scary word. But is it not the wisdom of a loving Savior who actually cares enough about you to tell you what you don't want to hear, to tell you what you need to hear? A loving Savior who desires to be with you forever and wants you to get rid of the things that might impede that fellowship. It's a hard word from the Bible. Happy Rally Day. <laughs> it is a hard word from the Bible amongst many. But it's God's word, and it's God's word for you because he loves you. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who atoned for your sins, yes, even when you spent too much time on your phone and the TV. Believe in him, and in that faith, follow him wherever he bids you go. Cut off the things that draw you away from him, that lead you away, and wait patiently for the day when, as the hymn goes, freed from sinning, you shall see his lovely face. Amen.